If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Everybody to episode 194 of the podcast. It is Sweeping America, the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Here is the deal for today's show. I was supposed to have Nick Coffee. Unfortunately, at the last minute, he had to bail. So there will be no Nick Coffee. Although I will mention, I got some great guests coming up for you in the next week. Rob Douster from NBC Sports will join next episode on Monday to preview the Champions Classic. I'll, of course, be on early to talk a little college hoops, but Rob Douster will join me Monday. I will do a special post-Champions Classic episode on Tuesday, and if all goes to plan, I'll have a special guest on Tuesday night, potentially later in the week if I do a third episode. Uh, Big-time college basketball coach has agreed to come on this show, so stay tuned for that. But I am again riding solo. I told you, I wanted Nick Coffee, but he bailed on me. Still a lot to get to today. Really quick rundown of today's show. The obvious big topic. It goes without saying. This national letter of intent, or this NLI, excuse me, which is, of course, name, image, and likeness. A month ago, we were talking about this California bill that would allow players to profit off of their name, image, and likeness, basically to sign endorsement deals, things of that nature. Well, the NCAA came out this week and said that they are going to put in legislation soon to allow players to uh, take endorsements, again, capitalize on their name, image, and likeness. I'll get into that. It's not as simple as one day uh, in the very near future. Everything will be changed. It's a little bit more complicated. There's a little bit more details. But basically, the reason I haven't really commented on it is because, to be perfectly honest, I told you how it was going to happen, and it happened exactly the way that I told you how it's going to go down. So we will talk about that. We'll get into some weekend football because I think there's some interesting things going on. One, obviously, Georgia-Florida is the big game. But two, I think the playoff picture is really going to take shape this weekend, and especially the Pac-12 potentially could play themselves into a very interesting scenario where they have two legitimate playoff contenders. We'll get into that. Also, I'm just kind of fascinated by the playoff picture as a whole because I think we're headed for a very fascinating uh, year in terms of picking the four teams to make the playoff. I think this might be a year where I've never been an advocate for an eight-team playoff, but this might be a year where we have seven or eight really worthy teams, so we'll get into that. And we'll wrap on college basketball. I have one note in the mailbag from today, and I think it's a good one. 
couple teams have struggled during exhibition season. Louisville struggled in a win over Bellarmine on Tuesday night. Michigan State has not looked great. And somebody asked me, does this matter? And I'm going to get into that as we conclude the show. Of course, College Hoops now just a couple days away. I am excited. We'll be talking so much College Hoops over the next five, six months, starting on Monday with Rob Douster into the season all the way through the end of March and April. And then, of course, we'll just talk recruiting and transfers. But enough blabbing. Let's get into today's show. Before we do, I want to remind you, please subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes. Do it on Podcast Addict. You can do it on Podbean. You can do it on TuneIn Radio. You can do it on Spotify. Basically, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can download this show. Also, in addition to subscribing, please make sure to rate and review the show Give us a quick five stars if you want to write something nice, if you want to write how much you love the show, if you want to write how much you love AT, where you listen. One thing I will say, I always enjoy people saying, I listen in the car, I listen at the gym. Let me know where you're listening to this show, how you're listening, who you're listening with, who got you into the show. Trip the Cats fan the other day told us that his dad got us into the show, so thank you to Trip's dad for getting Trip into the show. But again, please make sure to rate and review the show. Also, you can follow me on Twitter, at Aaron underscore Torres. Uh, You can follow me on Instagram, the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. A lot of traction there, a lot of good stuff there over the last month or so. And uh, finally, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. If you have questions you want answered on this show, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. I should mention, don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but we may have a little... AT Podcast merchandise coming up here in the coming weeks and months. So if you're into, you want to get something, you know, Trip the Cats fan, if your dad who got you into this show, we're going to have some merch for you to buy dad for Christmas, uh, a couple different t-shirts, a couple different things. So just keep an eye out for that. I will obviously get you details as we get into it, but let's get into today's show. No more messing around. It's time to talk uh, legislation, really exciting stuff, right? In all seriousness, uh, this is a big week for college uh, sports, really. College sports in general, obviously the big impact will be felt in college football and college basketball because this name, image, and likeness story took another twist this week with the NCAA saying that now, in time, they are going to alter the rules so players can capitalize off their name, image, and likeness. And again, to reiterate for people that are kind of a little confused as to what this means, it goes back to what we talked about a month ago. Name, image, and likeness does not mean that college athletes will quote-unquote get paid. They won't get a check every month. Uh, It's just not something that is sustainable simply because of the fact that a lot of athletic departments don't make money. Certainly most athletes and most sports don't make money for the school uh, and college football and men's college basketball are really driving the bus at most places. There's always the school, whether it's Arkansas baseball, whether it's UConn women's basketball, volleyball, softball, there are other programs that make money, but for the most part, it's college football and college basketball that drive the bus. So this does not mean that college athletes will get paid. It also doesn't necessarily mean what happened in California. So the California bill that was passed uh, you know, about a month ago now, this was the one that I was yelling and ranting and raving about. And so basically what that bill says is that basically it's a free market, right? If, if you want to pay, uh, and this is obviously just for the state of California, but if the local car dealership wants to pay the USC running back, $10,000 to do a car commercial or $50,000 to do a car commercial, they can do that. Also, 
they can go ahead and pay recruits, they can pay high school players, they can basically do whatever under the guise of profiting off your endorsement. So again, if USC wants to sign the number one quarterback in the country and bring him to USC, they can say, hey, why don't you sign this car deal? Why don't you sign on as an endorser for this car dealership for a million dollars? And of course, that would be preposterous. We would know that they'd basically be paying for the recruit. And that is the California law. California law is basically just a free market. If somebody wants to pay you to come to a college, they encourage it. The NCAA came out on, I guess it was Tuesday, and they basically said, we're we're sort of in favor of this new idea, but it comes with some limitations. And what do I mean by that? Basically, the NCAA has said what I have said all along, is that under the NCAA model, players will be able to capitalize off their name, image, and likeness. So again, just be an endorser, uh, local car dealership. If the sw- you know, if, if, if the best women's diver in America uh, goes to Yale and she has a YouTube channel where she does crazy diving tricks, she's allowed to make money off that YouTube channel. Um, you know, if a tennis player creates a new racket, I, you know, and sells the racket, you know, like, like, like basically you can capitalize off your, your name, your image, your likeness. Uh, but where the NCAA draws the line and where I knew they would draw the line is it's not quite as extreme as the California law. What the NCAA law, ba- what the NCAA basically has proposed is this, is that the, the rule is really only going to take effect when a college athlete gets to college. And so, uh, you know, Mark Emmert released all sorts of statements and, and legally worded things and, and, and all that kind of stuff over the course of the last couple of days. But what he really said was, listen, if Tua Tonga Viola gets to campus and he's awesome and the car dealership in Tuscaloosa wants to pay him any amount of money to be the face of the car dealership, we're okay with that. Where we draw the line, where basically Mark Emmert said is that, you know, we want to keep the college model in place. And what that means is what he will not encourage, what the NCAA will not encourage is this idea of just paying blindly for recruits. And so, um, you know, the official statement was we must embrace change to provide the best possible experience for college athletes. Additional flexibility in this area can and must continue to support college sports as part of higher education blah, 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 blah. And there's all kinds of of other legalese to it. But this is the distinction that the NCAA has said. And first of all, and there's two sides to this, right? So like, I come from the side of like, I give the NCAA credit. Basically, I think this is an, an incredible step in the right direction. If you listen to this show, and you're obviously listening now, you know I'm in favor of athletes being able to capitalize off their name, image, and likeness. As I've said, I've believed this ever since the first time my opinion changed on this was 10 years ago when A.J. Green, who is now a wide receiver with the Cincinnati Bengals, he's all mad because the Bengals benched the starting quarterback, A.J. Green got suspended for four games for selling a game-worn jersey. And even 10 years ago, I remember saying, I remember thinking, I remember writing uh, when I was right out of college on on my blog that I had at the time. Yeah, blog, what a word, huh? Um, I remember writing, like, it's ridiculous that AJ Green can't sell his own jersey. Where do we draw the line? As I told you guys a few weeks ago, uh, that was at that time that um, you know you always sold stuff on Craigslist, right? You had a couch, you put it on Craigslist. Uh, you know, this was before Craigslist got kind of weird. But I, I remember saying at the time, like 
so AJ Green can't sell his jersey, so like the NCAA can legislate that, but it's his jersey. Where would the NCAA draw the line? Can he sell his couch on Craigslist? And so ever since then, I've been in favor of athletes being able to profit off of their name, image, and likeness. Where I do draw the line, though, is I don't think we can just have, oh, and this is just my personal opinion, and so I do think the NCAA, I think it was a step in the right direction. There's obviously the media, and we know who the media are that are going to sit there and say, well, you know, they're not really helping the athletes, and you know, it's not really changing anything. And, and those are the media that one, I think are kind of dumb, but two, they're the, they're the ID, they're the, the free market media, right? I'll call them the free market. Oh, if, 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 if Memphis wants to pay a million dollars for a basketball player, they should be able to pay a million dollars. And if Ohio state wants to pay a million dollars for a quarterback, they should be able to pay a million dollars. And this is to me, this is where I kind of disagree. I don't think there should be an open market because one, there isn't an open market in professional sports. There's a salary cap in the NBA. When LeBron James becomes a free agent, he can't just sit down and say, who's offering me the most money? Oh, okay, the Los Angeles Lakers are going to offer me $100 million for, to play a single season? San Antonio Spurs, can you top that? Brooklyn Nets, can you top that? Charlotte Hornets, can you top that? No. LeBron, there is a salary cap in the NBA. There is a salary cap in the NFL. So the idea to me, and it makes no sense, and nobody can explain it why, is that, so we're not going to have, we're going to have a salary cap for the professionals, but a high school player can just go to the highest bidder, and that's what the NCAA doesn't want, and I actually tend to agree with them. To me, that is professional sports. If you're a basketball player and you simply want to go to the highest bidder, and look, we all know this stuff goes on behind the scenes, but if you just want to earn a paycheck, you just want to go to the highest bidder, go pro. It's not that hard. RJ Hampton is in Australia right now. I actually talked to his dad the other day, RJ Hampton's dad, and they're having a great time. And you know what? It kind of changed my opinion about this whole going pro thing. I've been obviously very pro-college and pro-this and pro-that, but talking to RJ Hampton's dad, they're having a ball over there. It's a great experience for the whole family. I think other high school players are going to take advantage of that. If you're good enough and if there's a market for you, then go pro. Football players, I'm sorry that you got to go to college and the NFL makes you stay there for three years, but if those are the rules, then those are the rules. If you're good enough to leave after a year or two, maybe the new XFL will give you an opportunity to earn money as a professional. The point I'm trying to make, I kind of agree with the NCAA. I don't think we should be offering high school point guards or high school quarterbacks a million dollars to come play in college. And if that makes me, uh, you know, one, you know, an economist might say that I'm trying to suppress the market and that I'm a bad person and these kids should... Like, whatever. I just disagree. We'll agree to disagree. Like I said, if there's no salary cap, if there is a salary cap in the pros, there's no reason that there should be an unlimited, completely free open market in college. That's professional sports. Let the professionals be professionals. I think that was another thing that Mark Emmert really said is that he wants to keep college and professionals separate. And so I have no problem with the way this is structured and we'll see what the next steps are. Mark Emmert, I thought was kind of interesting. They said they want to have legislation in place across the board uh, as early as January 2021, which if you think about it, that's like a year away right now. So I think that's kind of crazy. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know how they figure it all out. And I do think it's going to be division by division. So in other words, division one will have different rules than division two or division three. But I'll be honest, I do think 
this is an awesome step in the right direction. I do think that this is a good thing for college athletics because I do think that, as I said from the beginning, if you get to campus and you think in a, and you're good enough, then I think you should have an opportunity to earn a little bit of extra money. I also think, by the way, the, the, the other thing that concerns me, I should mention, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but I, I, I can't lie, it's a really good point, so I'm going to mention it again. I texted it to my buddy Austin, who's a listener to this show. He said, dude, that's a good point. Never heard anybody else say it, so I'll mention it again. But the other thing that if you, if you open up a true free market, I think it creates a lot of problems once a kid gets to campus that I do think will be mitigated if you basically say, hey, look, Tua, Zion, um, Reggie Bush, uh, whoever. You got to get to campus and prove yourself before we're just going to throw piles of money at you. And let me explain why. I think it, it, if, you, if you wait until that happens, it solves a lot of problems before they creep up. And so I brought this up a few weeks ago. Let's say we have the true open market the way the California law wants it, and we're just paying a million dollars to a high school football recruit. Now, there's a lot of people in me that say, well, if they, if they earn it, then they should get it. Well, I'll disagree, one, as I've said a few times, but I'll also take it a step further in that I think it complicates a lot of things. So, for example, Dabo Sweeney signs Trevor Lawrence or you know, uh, uh, as a student athlete, right? And as part of the deal, Trevor Lawrence signs a um, three-year, quote-unquote, and I'm air-quoting now, quote-unquote endorsement deal with the local car dealership. And we all know it's not really an endorsement deal. They're just paying them, say, let's just say a three-year million-dollar endorsement deal. What happens if, if Trevor Lawrence isn't playing well? What happens if Dabo has to bench him? What happens if Trevor Lawrence comes in behind Kelly Bryant and never beats out Kelly Bryant? Then what happens? I've used this example before. Look at Justin Fields. Justin Fields, who's the quarterback at Ohio State, he might end up winning the freaking Heisman, man. He is awesome. He went to Georgia last year and ended up transferring. What if we had this kind of open market that everybody wants and Justin Fields signs, like I said, a three-year contract, a million dollars a year to go to Ohio State under a quote-unquote endorsement deal? And what happens if he can't beat out Jake Fromm for a starting quarterback? You think that car company is going to be happy that they're giving Justin Fields a million dollars a year for a guy that can't even win the starting job? What happens if Justin Fields wants to transfer? Does, is, it, is it now breach of contract? Does he have to pay back the money he's earned? How, it just it complicates so many things. So I think the NCAA has it right. I like the idea that it's only going to apply to players that will already be on campus. And we will see if it does take effect as quickly as Mark Emmert says, which would be January of 2021, which again is a year from now. I do still think there's a lot of things to figure out, but I'll also say this. I think that if the system goes the way that Mark Emmert wants, which is basically we're just not out here bidding on recruits, right? I think if it goes that way, then I do think that it's good for college sports. Let me explain why. Because if, you don't, if you're not bidding on recruits and guys have to come to campus and prove that they are worthy of these endorsement contracts, here's what ends up happening. On the football side, the Ohio States, the Michigans, the Penn States, the Alabamas, the LSUs, they're still going to get all the same players. It's not as though, um, it's not as though a kid is just going to pick uh, Ole Miss or, you know, like I said, Memphis or, or Washington State that wouldn't pick Washington State because there's, you're not getting guaranteed money on the front end. And just the idea of talking about guaranteed money for a college athlete sounds weird to me. 
But then if the kid gets to campus, then he can earn whatever he can potentially earn. I would then take it a step further and say this. I think in basketball, it could actually be a really good thing. First of all, we had, I believe the final number was 87 players declare early for the NBA draft last year and stay in. We had like 200 declare, but like 87 players with eligibility decided to stay in the NBA draft when they could have come back to college. You have to think that at least for a few of them, that it's possible that they would have come back if they could have earned additional endorsement dollars, right? So the guy that's going to go sign for $100,000 to play overseas, maybe he comes back for $50,000 to be the spokesman for uh, you know Wichita State or for Kansas or for Michigan or for Michigan State or whatever. So I do think it's good. I'm also curious, and this is something... I don't know if I'll talk about it with Rob Douster when he comes on the show in a couple days, but it's something that he's brought up a lot, is I think it could actually level the playing field a little bit in college basketball in a way that is unintended. And what I mean by that is this. Everybody thinks that, oh, you know, if, if endorsement dollars are allowed, then, you know, the Texases and the Ohio States and the Floridas and the Kentuckys and the Dukes will just, well, they'll just clean sweep, where I think it actually could be the opposite. I think there's a lot of schools, and this is Rob's point, so I'll give him credit for this, He's like, dude, Wichita State, the Wichita State basketball program is the biggest thing in Wichita. And so now maybe they're starting to get players that they wouldn't get or certainly at the very least keep them um, because Wichita offers, say, endorsement opportunities that maybe a USC wouldn't, that maybe a University of Miami wouldn't. Heck, that maybe a University of Florida wouldn't because all the endorsement money is going to the football players. So I think it could be good for sports. I don't think it, as long as the rule goes into place in a way that players have to come to campus, have to earn their keep, have to prove that they're worthy of these endorsement dollars, I don't think it affects college sports all that much. Now, again, people are going to fight. The California legislation says it's a true free market. Uh, you can bid on recruits. If that happens, it's a complete game changer. Then I think it's the wild, wild west. I think it's crazy, but I like the way the NCAA has this set up. And I do think that it could be good for college sports. And again, you know, you guys know, I'm very pro NCAA. I think the um, common perception about how college athletes live and how, like, I think it's completely wrong. I think college athletes actually have it pretty good. But whether it's the football player, whether it's the baseball player, whether it's the basketball player, whether it's the women's basketball player, if they can earn some extra cash on the side, I have no problem with it. And it'll be fascinating to see how this thing unfolds. All right, so let's get into now a little bit of college football for the weekend. And I'm going to talk about Georgia-Florida in a minute. I'll give you my picks in a minute. But I actually think the most interesting story in college football this weekend actually comes from the Pac-12. And I'll be honest, haven't talked a ton of Pac-12 football on this show. And you know why? Because they basically have been somewhat irrelevant since the opening night of the season when Oregon, which was considered to be the best team in the Pac-12 lost to Auburn on the final play of the game. Only here we are, eight weeks after that Auburn game, and Oregon, I don't know if you guys have noticed, they are now 7-1. They've won seven straight games going into this weekend against USC. And then I would add this. Oh, by the way, Utah, which was also left for dead after they lost to USC in September, has now won a bunch of straight games, and now they are 7-1 and 
going into this weekend against Washington. And so why am I talking Pac-12 football on this show? Well, one, it's because most of the good teams aren't playing this week. Clemson's, or Clemson's playing Wofford. Alabama's off. LSU is off. And so I do think that part of it is that I'm just not talking about the big teams because the big teams aren't playing. But the story is the Pac-12, and I'll tell you why. It's because, first of all, there are two 7-1 teams that are playing. They're both on the road. They're both playing big games on the road, Oregon at USC and Utah at Washington. But I'll take it a step further. If these two teams win their games this weekend, there is a very good chance that both teams will finish 11-1 in the regular season and go to the Pac-12 championship game as a pair of 11-1 teams facing off to finish 12-1 and be the Pac-12 champ. The schedules shake out very nicely for both teams. So Utah, which is currently 7-1, and and I'll get to how good Utah has been in a minute. Utah, if they beat Washington, they get a bye. Their final three games are against UCLA, which is currently 3-5, and Arizona, which is currently 4-4, four and four, and Colorado, which is currently 3-5. and five. So basically, they're going to get three more wins to close out the season. Oregon, it's basically the exact same scenario. They, too, have a bye next week. If they win, they would play Arizona, as I just mentioned, which is currently 4-4. Four and four. They would play Arizona State, who's actually pretty good at 5-3 and three overall, and they would play Oregon State to close the season. Uh, Oregon State right now is 3-4 and four overall. But the reason I bring it up is because this, this weekend is massive for the Pac-12. If these two teams get through this game this weekend, I think there's a really, really, really good chance that both teams finish 11-1 and go to the Pac-12 championship game with an 11-1 record and a real shot to make the playoff. I would mention, if you haven't watched these teams, certainly Utah, which I hate to brag, but I picked them to make the playoff in the preseason. Have you seen what Utah's done over the last month? I'll give you a crazy stat. Utah as a team, their defense gave up 23 points. The entire month of October, 23 points the entire month of October, which tells you like they are playing like world-class elite defense. And I should mention, it's not as though they're not playing good opposition. Washington State is one of the best offenses in all of college football, and Oregon held Washington State to 13 points. They're averaging over 48 on the season. Oh, by the way... um, They also held Oregon State to seven points. Oregon is averaging over 30. And so I'm telling you, Utah's a real team. They play real defense. They run the ball well. And if they beat Washington, I think they're going to finish 11-1. Oregon has struggled a little bit more over the last month. Um, Needed a last-second field goal to beat Washington State last week. Needed a... Uh, you know, needed a late victory against Washington when they were basically down, I don't want to say the entire game, but for most of the game, they came back in the big fourth quarter win. So it's just going to be fascinating to watch. I also think the Pac-12 is kind of a microcosm for the entire college football playoff. And I'll tell you why. I think the college football playoff, we are in a year Where first of all, if you want an 18 playoff, this is going to be the year. Because I think that we're going to have a lot of crazy scenarios. I think we're going to have a lot of teams with really good records late. But what I think is going to happen in the college football playoff, and I think the Pac-12 is a good microcosm for this, is I think we're going to learn this year more than ever what the committee actually values. Do they value who they think the best teams are, the four quote-unquote best teams? 
Are they going to go with the teams with the best resumes? Are they going to use the eye test? Where do they fall in line? And so you're probably thinking to yourself as you're driving or as you're at the gym or whatever, you're sitting there thinking like, AT, what are you talking about? This makes no sense. I don't know what you're talking about. So let me explain what I mean. What I mean is, is that I think we could have a scenario where there are a lot of teams right in the mix down the stretch. And at a certain point, you're going to have to decide, do you want, say, the big brand of Oklahoma or do you want a second SEC team that might have a better resume? Do you want a 12-1 Pac-12 champion that's going to have a better resume than, say, Clemson if they finish 13-1? There's no doubt that Clemson is the bigger brand. There's no doubt that Trevor Lawrence is the sexier name. But if Clemson finishes 13-1, or 12-1, excuse me, and wins the ACC, but they lose a game along the way, they are not going to have a better resume than, say, Utah, which clearly isn't the same brand as them. I'll take it a step further. If Alabama loses to LSU in a couple weeks, I don't know if you've looked at Alabama's resume. They're not going to have very much of a resume if they lose to LSU uh, two weeks from, from this Saturday. Well, one week from this Saturday. You look at their schedule. Their best win is going to be over Auburn. So let's say LSU. They, beat, they lose to LSU, but they win out. Their best win would be over Auburn, which Auburn could be a four-loss team by that point. Auburn's already 5-2. and two. They still have to play Georgia. They still have to play Alabama. Alabama's best win would be against Auburn. You can't tell me that Alabama is going to have a better resume than, say, Penn State if Penn State finishes 11-1 but doesn't win the Big, 12, Big Ten. You can't tell me they're going to have a better resume than Oregon, although, of course, in the case of Oregon, Oregon would have a loss to Auburn. Um, but So let's say Utah. If Utah finishes 12-1 and they're the Pac-12 champion, they will have a more impressive resume with wins over Washington State and at Washington and against Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game and at BYU. That's a more impressive resume than what Alabama will have on paper. And so this, to me, is what is going to make this thing so fascinating because if you look at each conference, you know, this, this playoff picture has kind of worked out pretty nicely over the last couple of years, I know that that fake fraud Georgia tried to play, tried to talk themselves into the mix. But if you remember back to last year, Clemson was undefeated ACC champ. Alabama was an undefeated SEC champ. Notre Dame was undefeated. And then it basically came down to a two-loss Georgia team, which had no business being in the conversation. A one-loss Ohio State team that really didn't look good for most of the year. I mean, people forget they almost lost to Maryland the week before the Michigan game. Got hot late, but they really weren't one of the four quote-unquote best teams throughout most of the year. And then, of course, Oklahoma. And so Oklahoma got the fourth spot. It wasn't very controversial. But you look at this year. Think about it like this. If Alabama, regardless, Alabama and LSU, there's a very good chance Alabama could be a 13-0 SEC champ. LSU can be 11-1. And imagine if LSU loses that game. Their resume will include wins at Texas against Florida, against Auburn. Those are three, right now, top 10 wins, probably top 15 wins by the end of the year. Um, if Penn State, what if their only loss is to Ohio State? Ohio, the, the, Penn State's only loss would be to a 13-0 Big Ten champion, and Penn State would have wins at Iowa, at Minnesota, against Michigan, which again, are all top 10 to top 15 teams. And so I do think you're looking at a very realistic scenario we could have an undefeated SEC champ, a one-loss non-SEC champ, um, undefeated ACC champ, undefeated Big Ten champ, and then you have 
a really good second team from the SEC, a really good second team from the Big Ten if Penn State's only losses to Ohio State or vice versa. Um, you know, uh, uh, the Oklahoma could be a 12 and one Big 12 champ. Oregon or Utah could be a 12 and one Pac 12 champion. And so I'm just saying, I know it's a lot, I'm just throwing numbers at you, but the point that I'm trying to make is that I think we are headed for a very, very, very crazy scenario in which I think this is the year, if you want an 18 playoff, if you want chaos, I think this is the year that you're in for that because I just think that there's going to be a lot of teams with really good records at the end of the year, and we're going to have to decide what do we value more. Do we value the name brand of, say, Alabama at 11-1 if they lose to LSU, or do we value the fact that, let's be honest, Penn State as an 11-1 Big Ten runner-up is going to have a better resume than Alabama. 12-1 Utah will have a better resume than Alabama. Again, what happens if Clemson loses? What happens if um, you know Oklahoma wins out? What happens if, by the way, what happens if Baylor wins out? Baylor's undefeated. I don't think they're going to win out, but I'm just saying it's it's just an insane scenario, uh, and I just think it's something to watch because we have a lot of good teams with a lot of good records down the stretch. Now, look, upsets are going to happen. We saw obviously, um, you know, Georgia get knocked off to South Carolina. We'll talk about Georgia in a second. We saw Wisconsin lose as a top 10 team. We saw Oklahoma lose. We've seen Wisconsin lose twice, so they're out of the playoff. We saw Notre Dame lose for a second time, so they're done. So teams will eventually play themselves into and out of the conversation. But I just think, I don't ever remember a year where this late in the season, there's this many teams that really, I think, think that they have a realistic shot. And I even include the long shots, like I just mentioned, with Baylor. Minnesota, by the way, is 8-0, and they play Penn State uh, uh, next weekend. If that happens, guess what? Minnesota's probably finishing like 11-1 or 12-0 because they don't play Ohio State or Michigan down the stretch. They could go to the Big Ten title game as an 11-1 or 12-0 team. So just something to keep an eye on as we head down the home stretch. I just think it's fascinating. I think it'll be fascinating to watch what matters. Is it name brand, Alabama, Clemson, Trevor Lawrence? Is it being a conference champion like Utah or Oregon? Is it somewhere in the middle? Is it an LSU that's 11-1 that really tests themselves out of conference? So just keep an eye on that. Really quickly, uh, the big game this weekend is Georgia-Florida. I'll tell you this. I, You know, <laughs> you guys know um, I've been a little critical of Georgia through the years. Don't know if you heard that or not, but it is true. I have been uh, somewhat critical of Georgia, but, um, you know, I'll say this. I'll give Kirby Smart credit for this. I looked up this stat. I couldn't believe it. It's crazy. Kirby Smart is 7-0 straight up the last seven times that he has faced Dan Mullen as either a defensive coordinator when he was a defensive coordinator at Alabama or the last two years when he was at Georgia. Now, granted, most of that time, Dan Mullen was the head coach at Mississippi State, um, and let's be honest, Mississippi State, maybe except for the one year that they had Dak Prescott when they were number one in the country, Mississippi State did not have the same talent that Kirby Smart had. But I still think that it's amazing that the last time that a Dan Mullen offense got the better of a Kirby Smart defense, do you know when that was? It was the 2008 SEC championship game when Dan Mullen was the offensive coordinator at Florida, Kirby Smart was the defensive coordinator at Alabama. Dan Mullen had a couple guys named Tim Tebow, Percy Harvin, uh, Lewis Murphy, uh, Aaron Hernandez. I don't know if I should say that out loud. 
Uh, Dan Mullen, a lot of dudes. So I just think it's fascinating. For whatever reason, Kirby Smart has Dan Mullen figured out. Now, I do know Dan Mullen has not had as much talent as Kirby Smart over the last couple of years, but until Kirby Smart proves me wrong, and he's proved me wrong in plenty of other games, but not the Florida game, I will take Georgia in this game. And I should mention... Uh, my college football picks for the weekend are now live at AaronTorresOnline.com. I will readily admit uh, things did not go very well last weekend. But listen, you bounce back. As Bill Belichick would say, I am on to week 10 of the college football picks. Again, the picks are available at AaronTorresOnline.com. Also, the Aaron Torres podcast Instagram page, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. Here are the picks really quick if you're interested. Uh, first one. Michigan at Maryland. I actually like the under in that game. It's at 55 and a half, started at 56. Maryland's really bad. Kind of a crazy stat. Okay, so Maryland, um, remember when they were like insane to start the year? They scored 79 points in their season opener, 63 in the second game. They scored 117, or excuse me, 142 points in the first two games. In the seven games since, they've scored 117 points. So they scored 25 more points in the first two games as they have in the last seven. And by the way, 48 of those came against Rutgers. So that tells you that uh, Maryland's offense has been struggling. They're down to like their third string quarterback because of injuries. Michigan has a bye next week. They close with Michigan State. Uh, uh, somebody else, and I forget who, Michigan State, Indiana, and uh, Ohio State, I believe. I think Michigan, I don't think they care about winning this game by a large margin. I think they just want to win, get out, get into the bye, get healthy for the home stretch. So I have the under in this game. Second pick, I have Nebraska. I'll tell you this. I've bet against Nebraska all year. It's been very profitable. They are minus three this week at Purdue, though, and I will take the Cornhuskers. There was some uh, scuttlebutt out of Lincoln this week. Uh, coaches calling out players. Players calling out other players. Scott Frost's recruit calling out the older guys, saying guys don't care. I think for one week, they get right against a Purdue team, which itself is really banged up. They're switching quarterbacks. They can't figure it out. So I like Nebraska minus three in that game. Uh, I also like the under in the Houston-Central Florida game. Very simply, Central Florida plays really good defense, uh, and I think Houston, they're not really even trying at this point. Dana Holgerson, as I talked about on the show probably about a month ago, uh, he basically is redshirting his starting quarterback and top wide receiver. Kind of just felt like, hey, let's get these guys uh, eligible for next season. So Houston isn't trying. I like the under in that game. Georgia minus six and a half. I just told you why I like them. Uh, and then Utah. Look, I like Utah to win that game. I mentioned the defense has been insane. Insane. As I told you, 23 points they gave up the entire month of October. Four games. That includes Oregon and Washington State, which were both averaging over 30 apiece. Washington State's averaging over 40 points a, piece, 40 points a game. They were held to 13 by Utah. Um and Oregon State was held to seven by Utah. Utah's defense is lights out. Washington, they are coming off a bye, but they have lost twice at home already. I like Utah State and the under in that game. And finally, I like USC against Oregon. It's like I mentioned a minute ago, Oregon, good story, but if you kind of follow the last couple weeks, they have been struggling. They need a last-second field goal to beat Washington State. They needed a uh, late rally to beat Washington uh, USC, say what you want about them, 4-0 straight up at home. They've covered in the three-pack 12 games at home against Stanford, against uh, 
Arizona, and against Utah. They won straight up. So I like USC to cover the five points in this game. It's already down to four and a half. Those are my picks. Again, the Michigan-Maryland under, the Nebraska minus three, the Houston Central Florida under, Georgia by six, six and a half, depending on what you can get it at, uh, Utah State and the under in that game, and then I like USC as a home underdog to cover. Again, all the picks are available at AaronTorresOnline.com. Uh, also, if you're gambling this weekend, go to MyBookie.ag, promo code Torres. Uh, you get a 100% sign-up bonus. So even if you don't like my picks, you can pick against me. Uh, go there. You put in 50 bucks. They give you 50 free bucks to play with. Uh, that's MyBookie.ag, promo code Torres. All right, last thing, and I'm rambling because it's late. We've been doing this show for about 40 minutes now. I do want to wrap on one basketball topic. Um, Mike send in an email to the Aaron Torres podcast, uh, you know, email. So if you want, if you got basketball questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. And Mike very simply said, AT, love the show. Listen every week. Question for you. Last couple weeks have provided some weird results in out of, or in, excuse me, I can't even read an email here, in the exhibition slate of games. Duke nearly lost to a Division II team. Louisville struggled against Bellarmine. Michigan State struggled in their exhibition. Is there anything to take out of all these top teams struggling this early in the year? So first of all, I appreciate the email. Again, if you want to send in your own emails, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. And again, I should mention next episode, Rob Dowster will be actually talking the Champions Classic because it will be a day away at that point. Um, look, this is what I would say real quick. I don't know. To answer the question, no, and I appreciate the, the email, and it's no disrespect to the emailer, but no, there is nothing to make out of this. What I'll say is this. I think, look, first of all, every situation is different, right? Um, Duke is just a really young team. You bring back Trey Jones, but really everything else is going to be reliant on the freshman, going to be reliant on Wendell Moore. It's going to be reliant on um, Matthew Hurt. It's going to be reliant on... Um, it's going to be reliant on Vernon Carey. And so it takes time. Listen, these guys aren't Zion. There is no Zion in college basketball this year. I think Cole Anthony is probably going to be the closest, but there is no Zion that can just physically overwhelm teams. And so I'm not surprised that Duke is struggling. By the way, Louisville, two of their key players, Malik Williams and David Johnson, aren't playing. Two guys they thought they would have. One guy who's a veteran. Michigan State is down a lot of guys. Josh Langford is not healthy. As I reported earlier this week, Kyle Ahrens, who is a returning uh, wing player, three-point shooter, he suffered a high ankle sprain in one of their other exhibitions, hasn't played, didn't play in their exhibition win uh, on Tuesday night. And so, no, I just don't take too much out of these early season exhibitions. One, it's like I've told you before. Every team is, is doing something different with these exhibitions. They're experimenting with lineups. They're experimenting with players playing different positions. Uh, coaches, you know, in a lot of the cases, they, they'll rest their kind of veteran players and try to get young players reps. So every situation is different. Um, and I honestly don't take all that much out of it because it's just one of those deals where it's young teams trying to figure it out right now. And I just don't buy that there is all that much to take out of this stuff. Um, and I will say, look, I think a lot of these young teams are going to struggle at the start of the season. I think Duke is going to struggle at the start of the season. Michigan State, I think I talked about on one of the other shows, have you seen Michigan State's schedule? Kentucky on a neutral court. This is in the first month of the season. Kentucky on a neutral court in the Champions Classic. They play a week later the Gavit Games at Seton Hall, true road game. 
They play Duke at home in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. They play in the Maui Invitational where they could play Kansas. They could play UCLA with Mick Cronin. I mean, that is a tough run of games. And so I bring that up because I just think it's one of those deals where I think Michigan State could struggle. I think Louisville, which opens on the road in ACC play, I think they could struggle. I think Duke could struggle. I think Kentucky could struggle. Kentucky didn't look like world beaters, even though they dominated uh, Georgetown College over the weekend. We don't know the status of Nick Richards. They're a small team that is very guard-reliant without Nick Richards. So I don't make too much out of it, and I do believe that, look, there's a reason that guys like me, guys like Rob Douster, um, Gary Parish at CBS, whoever is doing these top 25 rankings, there's a reason that Michigan State, that Louisville, that Duke, that North Carolina – that Kansas, that Kentucky, there's a reason that all of those teams are at the top of all of our rankings. It's because they're all going to be really good. They might not all be really good on opening night, but give it time. Give it till January. Give it till February. Nobody thought that Kentucky was going to be a team following the Champions Classic that would eventually make the Elite Eight and be a shot or two away from going to the Final Four. Michigan State, which lost last year in the Champions Classic, ended up going to the Final Four. So I'm not that concerned right now. And I just think some teams, specifically Louisville and Michigan State, are really, really, really shorthanded. Kentucky will be shorthanded going into their second exhibition game on Friday because they won't have Nick Richards. So that is all for today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. I promise you I'll bring you some guests next week. As I mentioned, Rob Douster, NBC Sports. He will join me to preview the Champions Classic. He will join me to uh, talk really just whatever ends up coming up. I mean, I love talking hoop with Rob. Uh, he's an incredible guy. And uh, we'll get some clarity on, on some of these games going into next week and some clarity on the college basketball season, which starts next week. I cannot believe it. I am so excited. Uh, and as I said, we will also do a Champions Classic recap on Tuesday night for Wednesday morning for your uh, commute or drive or whatever on Wednesday. So that is all for today's show. I want to thank you for downloading the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, please make sure you're subscribed. You can do it on iTunes, Podcast Addict, Podbean, TuneIn Radio, Pod Paradise, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure you're subscribed. We're talking college hoops. There's a lot to talk about over the next couple months. Make sure to subscribe. Also, rate and review. Give us a quick five stars. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't. Uh, make sure you follow the Instagram page, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. Also, if you have any questions like Mike had earlier tonight, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. And also keep an eye out for merch. It's coming soon. That is all for today's show. Shout out to my boy, Torrent Craig, and we'll be back next week. <laughs>